Hello and welcome to 6016. I'm your host Reese, and in today's episode, we're going to be focusing on being more Berean. The main premise is to arm Christians with the essential tools to handle and divide the Word of God rightly, regardless of their background and denomination. In Acts chapter 17, the Berean Jews were commended for making sure that everything Paul said was true according to Scripture. I think it is imperative that in our day and age that we follow the exact same example. On this podcast, we tackle a lot of interesting and controversial subjects, doctrines and teachings, but I don't want you to take everything we say at face value as gospel. I want to encourage you to test to make sure that everything we say is true. And I want to give you the vital tools to be able to do so. I should remind you that I'm not a pastor, I'm not a teacher, I don't hold any doctorates or been to any seminaries, but I have a desire to navigate the word of God, break it down rightly, have it transform me and transform those around me. So you should be verifying that everything you hear, whether it be from this podcast or any other teacher, that everything is true. The first hurdle I would like to tackle is the method of interpreting the Bible. There are two main schools of interpretation when it comes to approaching the Holy Scriptures. There's exegesis and eisegesis. You may have heard this on some of the previous episodes and I would just like to shed some light on that as we continue going forward. Exegesis, which means to draw out, is the means of extracting out from the text what the intended messages from the author is saying to the intended recipient. Eisegesis is to read into or to impose the reader's worldview and ideas into the text. The main difference between these two is that exegesis always has a tendency to transform the reader, whereas eisegesis has the tendency to distort the text. Now there are a few red flags that you can be aware of when someone is using the eisegetic method. The first one is that in the nature of eisegesis it actually requires very little study because it is based off the opinions of the person reading the scriptures. So you might hear words like I think a lot or when I read this passage I see it as This shows a lot about the heart of the reader and it results in the reader taking a lot of the scriptures out of context to validate their viewpoint. Exegesis actually flips this on its head. It actually takes the focus off the reader and puts the emphasis on the scripture. So you would hear things like the word of God says or scripture tells us or at the very least I would argue. A good example of this is in the book of Acts, there is a documented part of the um, expansion of the church where Paul is holding a very, very long sermon, preaching for hours and hours and hours on end, and Eutychus is sitting in the window. As he falls asleep due to the warmth, he falls out the window and dies.
Now if I were using the isogetic method, I have at least one or two subjects I could use as a sermon on a Sunday morning. I think the website Got Questions had the two best examples for this uh, that were quite funny. Um, the first one was, say I am a pastor who is very frustrated in the fact that a lot of my members fall asleep during my services. I could, in theory, use this passage of scripture to enforce why it is detrimental for falling asleep. You should always be paying attention when the word of God is being spoken. And the second one is, I am a minister who is very punctual, likes to have everything done in time and doesn't like it to run over. I have stuff on the stove ready for me to eat, along with my family at home and services that go on too long are a real bane of my ministerial life. So I could also use this portion of scripture to enforce the fact that having services that go on too long, especially sermons, can actually harm the congregation in unforeseen ways. But obviously, now you could debate whether or not these subjects are actually important in churches and in Christendom, but it doesn't actually extract anything from the text in any way, shape or form. That's where exegesis comes in. So if you were to use in, uh, the exegetic method, you would ask a couple of questions to the text first while you are trying to extract the information. It is a far more tedious method but it is actually more rewarding in the long run. So for this passage of scripture um, we can start with asking a few questions that we can use to break down um, understanding what actually happens in this section. Um, it's not an exhaustive list but just a few that we might be able to use in uh, the time we have at the moment. Uh, the first one is who is the author? Who is the intended recipient? Historically, what happened at the time of the writing? What words were used in the original language? Is this language found in other books? And how does it fit into the redemption story? Um, I'd like to touch on at least three of these. But this um, can be used in other places that you'll find um, in scripture. And you'll certainly see how it um, comes to use in further episodes. But the three main questions I would like to use for this bit is who is the author? Historically what happened at the time of writing and how does this fit into the redemption story? Well first of all uh, when it comes to who the author is it is believed that it is Luke who wrote the book of Acts and the accounts that go on on the inside. Um, why this is important is because it's also believed that he was a doctor as a profession. So when it comes to Eutychus and him being regarded as dead after the accident, that carries some weight considering his uh, potential occupation. You know, this obviously does bring us to a junction where we have two assessments that are conflicting with each other. So we have Paul, who says that there's still life in him. We also have Luke, who says that this person is dead. So what is actually going on here? Well, if we were to look at what is actually historically going on at the time, um, Paul is an apostle appointed by Jesus post-mortem to be a, a messenger who will take the gospel message of the risen Jesus and the retribution that comes through grace to predominantly the Gentiles, but also 
the Jews in some circumstances. With him being an apostle, he is appointed and given spiritual gifts that validate him being sent by Jesus, much like the other 12 apostles that were journeying through with Jesus during his ministry. Now, why this is important is because, again, going back to the conflicting views, Luke most definitely knew that Eutychus was dead from the fall. That was without a doubt. He wasn't lying. The assessment proves that this man was dead. But the fact that when Paul comes down, he assesses him also, and you see the words, there is still life in him, it alludes to the fact that something spectacular was taking place in this portion of scripture. And if you were to dig a little further, you might actually discover that Paul had actually performed a resurrection. So how does this fit into the redemption story? Well, it gives you insight into the fact that God is working through Paul to restore all things, or in this sense, restore the life of someone who met an unfortunate end, but it was done in such a way that it could be taken account of for us to be able to look back and to see how marvelous and how wonderful the God that we serve is. Now, as you can see, there are two very different results contrasting between using the reading into and also drawing out of method. So I'd encourage you to use the exegetical method, which in all honesty is more trustworthy, more reliable. It certainly does help people um, in all shapes and forms, but I wouldn't say it is absolutely foolproof. Unfortunately, us as believers and as humans are fallible. We are still prone to error but the exegetical method would help at least curb a lot of the potential errors we could make when trying to navigate Bible study or personal study of the Bible. Another thing I think is very important to Bible study is hermeneutics. And hermeneutics is something that actually goes quite closely hand in hand when using exegesis. And hermeneutics is essentially understanding the genre of the scriptures and the books of the Bible that you are studying. As you know, although the Bible is a historical narrative as a whole, it is actually broken into different genres and um, it doesn't take too much effort to be able to find out what these are, but it does help you at least understand how to approach and how to navigate these books as you go along. So, for instance, if we were to go back to the book of Acts again, um, that's actually under the category of a historical narrative. So that would allow you to at least understand that the things that happened in this portion of scripture has ties to human history, to geological history also. And there's things you might be able to make references to outside of the Bible to get a greater understanding. Another one uh, would be say like poetry or prophecy and, and these genres you would obviously take into account when navigating the scriptures also so you wouldn't go to say the book of songs of solomon and use that under the hermeneutic of a historical narrative because the conclusions that you'll come to wouldn't be consistent with the book in the same way you wouldn't go to say the book of Mark and interpret that as a book of prophecy or as a book of poetry because the end conclusions would not be consistent with the rest of scripture also. I guess a good 
a good example of this is the book of Job. If you were to look into the hermeneutic or the genre of that book, it would be listed under poetry. And obviously if you go through the book of Job, you'll see there's a lot of things that seem a little strange or a little out of place that will make you think that maybe it's more of a parable. In, in um, one example, that the adversaries is allowed to go up into heaven and to ask God questions directly and why God allows all these things that happen through the book of Job to happen to Job but in isolation it would seem as if it was a um, more of a parable for our understanding or um, something of fiction just to shed light on some greater stories but if you were to look into other books the book of James actually references Job as an example for patience. So understanding the hermeneutic allows you to at least unpack and learn more about what goes on in the spiritual realm in the book of Job, but also allows you to understand how God orchestrates things in your life to give him glory and that the things that go on happen under his sovereignty. One more thing I would like to shed light on before we move on would be lexicon. I think that this is a, a very important thing to understand, especially as us who have, say, like English as our native language. Uh, growing up, um, I made, just like many other Christians today, uh, the assumption in my head that, especially when um, going through the King James Version, that the way that they speak in the King James Version of the Bible is how Jesus and the disciples and everybody else spoke in that time. This we know is not actually true, but it's merely a translation of what happened at the time. By that I mean the Bible is made up of manuscripts that are centuries and centuries years old, but were not written in, say if you are an English speaking person, in the English language in its native source. If you were to focus on the Old Testament, the two main languages that the manuscripts are written in are Hebrew and Aramaic. In the New Testament, it is mostly Greek. Now, why is this important? Well, I'll use this one as an example. If you were to look at a particular word in the English language, so like the word world, the word itself doesn't change, but the context is changed depending on the surrounding words. So when I say the word world, you probably think of the earth initially, or if I were to say the basketballer's world, you would then understand that I'm not talking literally about an earth dedicated to basketballers, but more the, uh, the community or the, the culture that someone who is interested in basketball associates themselves with. And when it comes to understanding these words in a biblical sense, luckily we have, because we understand that set up with the New Testament that was written in mostly Greek, if I were to look at the root word of the word world in say like one of the synoptic gospels, you may find that the root word, even though it is world in English, might actually have a different root word underneath. So when you see the word world, um, in certain areas of the Bible, you might see the root word cosmos, which is obviously where we get the word 
cosmos from, but that's spelt with the K in Greek. But also you'll find another word that goes by the name ion, which is A-I-O-N, which is more synonymous with an age rather than the literal world. If you go through an English Bible, you'll find some translations, say like the King James Version, that would use the word world for the root word ion. But if you were to read it at face value, you would think uh, the conversation that is going on at that present time is alluding to the physical world as we know it. If we were to look at the root word, you might discover that that is not actually the case. If you saw the word ion, you'd understand it's more to do with an age or a period of time. So with this tied in with the hermeneutics and the exegetical study method, it allows you to really unpack the Bible in a, a revolutionary way where God speaks to you. You can ask the text questions and he speaks through those very words and he transforms you as you can begin to learn more about Christ. I would certainly encourage you to, to pray first, but once you've prayed, leave yourself open to learning as God shares his information with you through his word. You will find that at certain cases you are challenged, which I think means that you're on the right track. The Holy Spirit is definitely working on you when you come to a certain portion of scripture which almost offends you or it makes you question certain things or makes you feel uncomfortable because God is trying to work with you in these sorts of um, areas. But as you continue to grow, you'll find that the, the emphasis is not on yourself and it is more on God trying to speak to you through his word. And the, another thing I would encourage you to do is once you've implemented exegesis, the correct hermeneutic, understanding the lexicon, is to then take all the information and find out whether other people have come to the same conclusion. Because our force of habit is, especially if we lean on the isogetic method or we don't study our Bibles as often as we should, because a lot of us don't really touch our Bibles to learn anything from it, but we rely on preachers who rely on preachers to do that work for us. And in doing so, we pick up a lot of information. But say, if we were to be challenged on said information, we actually haven't got a, a sophisticated enough defense to justify why we stand on this stance on this particular scripture. This subject is also called epistemology, which is something we might touch on later on in the series. Something that you should, I think you should definitely be mindful of when we have um, some of the future debates we have lined up. It's not so much what we know, but it's how we came to know it. If you exegete, you'll know that the results you have come from the Word of God. And if you're having a debate, you can explain how you came to the conclusions using the methods that you had and be very open so then your results can be cross-examined and whoever you're having that debate with or having a discussion with can at least understand that you're earnestly trying to find the truth. If someone's using the isogetic method, they will struggle to defend their position without getting defensive because, because it becomes very personal. The reason why I bring this up at this current time is because, as you'll find in our next episode, that knowing your Bible, knowing the the truth of the Bible is paramount to exercising the spirit of discernment. The truth of God's word simply won't just fall into our laps. We are encouraged, we are commanded, we are enticed to dig very deep 
into God's word to find out the truth and have it transform our lives and as we exercise the spirit of discernment and we get deep into these Bible study behaviors you'll begin to grow and analyze the word of God being shared by other people so um, you might see quite a lot of arguments and counter arguments made against Christians and the Bible on social media and you'll see them make very bold claims based on certain passages of scripture if you do not know your Bibles you'll become very confused and you'll consider their lies or half-truths to be gospel but if you study the Bible extensively and come to these conclusions as best you can and verify them with other Christians when these arguments come you will have a defense for them we are asked to contend for the faith but we cannot contend for a faith that we do not understand or we do not know being scripturally illiterate is detrimental being scripturally illiterate is detrimental to a christian's faith i encourage you all to learn study as a family as friends as a church group as a church to study the scriptures find out what is true because it can be very easily led astray god is not the author of confusion he doesn't lie he always speaks the truth and everything we need to get through this life is given to us in the 66 books he gave us i would encourage you to be like the Bahrains and to verify that everything you hear is true. Do not allow the gate of your mind to be wide open to allow lies from the deceiver or false teachers or false preachers or false prophets to enter your mind. Verify absolutely everything. Because in doing so, you might find that you actually have less time and less energy to expend on things like conspiracy theories or new trends or as Paul says in the letters to Timothy worthless and pointless conversations and debates we want to know the the truth for ourselves that we can articulate it and we can share it with others but also defend it in the most comprehensive way possible break it down in a way that through the Holy Spirit is very simple for other people to pick up because if we do not understand the fundamentals of the faith ourselves we can be led astray but then also not grasp the very beauty the very power and the, the true majesty of the revelation that god has given us through his word you will see how beneficial this is not only to your christian walk and your spirituality but also to how it can change your life and the lives around you in our next episode as we unpack this further but until then, take care and God bless.